This is TC Daily, the new technology show brought to you by Tech Central. I'm Duncan McLeod. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, please do so. You can do so on YouTube at youtube.com slash techcentral, or you can subscribe to our daily newsletter. You can get that via techcentral.co.za slash newsletter, the show where we talk to interesting people in the technology industry and beyond. And I uh, have just one such guest today who's joining me, and that's Winston Jordan, who is the MD of a company called Gridcars. And they are rolling out a national network of charging stations for electric vehicles. This is going to be a fascinating discussion. Um, welcome, Winston. Um, Thank you very much. Uh, I was having a look at your LinkedIn profile before we, uh, before we started chatting today. And you have a diverse range of interests, ranging from aviation to evolving technologies to flying cars and hovercraft. Uh, and you were telling me that uh, while you were at school, you, uh, you were trying to build or you wanted to build a flying car. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> so very much, you know, I spent uh, large portions of my time at school trying to design flying cars. And sort of over the years came to the point where I realized, you know, the area I'd have to go into would be physics, not mm. engineering necessarily, if I really wanted to get the design right. So that's really what drove my studies and drove where I went to. Once I got to university, I probably took my foot off the throttle a little bit and focused really on getting my degrees. But, um, yeah, it was fascinating. I really enjoyed the flying side of things and where the flying car technology would go. And I think for me it was about how it's going to change the world in the, in the sense that there'd be a lot of fractional ownership systems in place. There'd be, you know, rental systems. You'd have autonomous flying because you'd be able to send the car to fetch your kids at school, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. So so I think it was those side things that really always interested me and still to this day right. is, you know, is ensuring that there's the correct infrastructure is in place in order for the technology to thrive on that mm-hmm. and to grow on that. Fly, flying cars are interesting because uh, I, I mean, when you were at school, uh, I guess this was a, I mean, this was a very futuristic thing. Oh, very, yeah. In the last <laughs> few years, uh, com- companies are actually starting to look at flying cars as a concept quite seriously. Yeah. Uber's got its, uh, is investing in the space and many other companies. Absolutely. Do you think we're actually going to see flying cars in our cities anytime <laughs> soon? I, I think the legislation is still something big to overcome. It always was, um, you know, and also any type of flying car the, even the ones that we were looking at at the time um, or that the designs were looking at at the time, they really need special places to land. You can't mm-hmm. just land it in a driver. It's mm-hmm. going to shoot stones and sandblast everything on all sides. <laughs> so it's like a land in a helicopter. In mm-hmm. the, you know, you've got the same amount of down thrust of air mm-hmm. that's going to hit the roads. So I, I think it's going to be difficult to find the right um, things. I think in the right applications, if you're talking you know, power line monitoring and things like that, that's also very much where our discussions went to eventually right. was – was saying that would be the direction. So, yeah, we doing, I was doing this in, let's say, the 80s and the 90s. And, you know, we, we built, um, we would just call it a four-engine balancing system. But mm-hmm. really, it's what the drone technology is used today around, right. you know, that in terms of being able to fly um, a particular right. the, the aircraft. So, so when, when these flying cars do come, are they just going to be big drones? I think so. I think yeah. the ones we'll see now, I don't think there's any technology that that we're expecting that he's going to, you know, not create these massive downwashes. It, it just practically is not there. Right. So I think they'd have to have special places to land. Um, you might find vertiports, or that's what we call them. So you might find a vertiport at a shopping centre, but it would be far away with a very specific design to be able to suppress that amount of wind hitting the mm-hmm. ground and not create a problem in the area. Okay. Well, you know, we're going to talk about vehicles of a different kind today, uh, and that's also quite an exciting area, and that's EVs. 
which is a uh, which just seem to be starting to take off now in South Africa. A lot of the big vehicle manufacturers are starting to invest money. We've seen Mercedes-Benz announcing some new EVs. We had the in fact had the CEO just on uh, the, this last week to talk about the new models they're launching in the market. Yeah. Audi's doing stuff. Volvo's doing stuff. There's a lot of interest and investment happening, and I think consumers are starting to warm to the idea as well. Uh, so let's talk a bit about grid cars and, and, and the background to grid cars. Uh, I know that uh, the business today uh, is forms somehow forms part of the JSE listed Elviva holding stable. Yeah. Um, I know they own a business called SolarF. Um, That's right. What is the connection? Does yeah. SolarF own grid cars? What's the so SolarF is seventy five percent shareholding in grid cars, mm-hmm. and they're also majority owned by the listed company. Okay. So that puts us into that listed realm. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's been a, a, an amazing ride for us. Uh, officially, well, let's say unofficially, Gridcar started in probably at the time I was finishing my work with flying cars in about okay. 2002 and started looking initially at designing vehicles. So mm-hmm. it was ve- a vehicle design strategy in the beginning. But around 2010, that transition towards charging and charging technology. Um, to maybe put that in perspective, that was five years before the first EVs arrived in South Africa commercially. 2009 was a long time ago in, yeah. in the and context of EVs for sure. Absolutely. So the idea was at that point we realized that um, we'd need to be focusing on building infrastructure for EVs and, and that infrastructure included the, the management systems, the billing systems, mm. the, the mapping da- data that sits behind all of this information, the communication things. Again, very much similar to the type of things I looked at on the flying car side of things. Right. So the, that, that really brought that to fruition for us, is to bring those technologies together and to start engaging with the bigger OEMs to understand what are they looking for, mm-hmm. how will those mapping systems integrate into their vehicles so that you can have a, a, a seamless transition mm-hmm that you look up something on your phone, you say, I want to go to Cape Town, you get into the car, and the car would automatically be plotting the points for you as to where you've got to go, how long you've got to spend in each. The, the newer systems have, have been so amazing in some of the latest cars, where they'll actually tell you how long, you know, what your state of charge will be when you arrive at the charging station, oh, wow. and how long you've got to spend there, you know, to minimize your time along the trip. So it's absolutely amazing. 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 I, I guess as a consumer, you don't really think about the logistics that have to sit in the back end. But now that you mention it, there's, it must be a really complicated exercise. Absolutely. And probably made doubly complicated by the fact that we're in a power sh- short country. Sh- there's a shortage of electricity in South Africa. There's frequent load shedding. Uh, how, do you, how, do you, how do you cope with the load shedding uh, so, issue? So I suppose the, the first thing to say is, yeah, if, if, if there's load shedding, the charger's not working. There's no okay. magic. We don't have batteries you know, necessarily at a site. That said... When sites have their own backup capabilities, whether those backups are through battery or through generator, we are sometimes connected to that. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the charges, you can actually look when you go into the mapping, one of the features you'll see is whether it's got backup. Right. And, you know, especially the major highways, if you look at even a, a small town like Lanesburg, mm-hmm. you know, they've got a big generator that would f- support the, the, the site where we were installed. And if there's load shedding, we're on the generator in that case. So, yes, it's not the cleanest, but at the end of the day, it's convenient. Yeah. Um, you know, if we look at actual charging sessions, it's like 0.2% or 0.3% that were charged on generators. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, so it's, it's, a, it's, it's a small fraction. Yeah. It's really not a big deal at all. But I can tell you that that 0.2% of people that were charged in the generator were immensely thankful. I'm sure. Because they – now, and, and I think that comes back to then the first statement, that if it is down – on average, load shedding is two hours, so on average, you're going to wait an hour. Go and have some lunch. You know, <laughs> an hour. It's not a big deal. Yeah. And, and I think most um, EV drivers will tell you that they've had very few 
real problems with load shedding, you mm. know, in term, in affecting your driving or your drivability. Mm. You know, that said, and I won't mention his name, but we had one client this week who we, we just hit the perfect storm where he'd forgotten a cable at home, so he couldn't charge on the AC side of the charger. The charger actually incurred some damage oh, like no. the day before, and he skipped a charger where the rule is charge at every charging station. Right. But he skipped one, so when he got there, he was absolutely empty. Oh, no. And he had to spend the night. But that's the second time that's happened in four years. Mm. So you do get these perfect storms, and but it's really in general we do not see it as a, as yeah. a big challenge for the customers. Uh, it's been said that one of the biggest challenges to EV adoption in South Africa is range anxiety. Do you, do you yeah. find that, um, I mean, just talking to your class, talking to drivers of EVs in South Africa, once they've you know, bought an EV and been driving it for a while. Do you find that range anxiety is still there or does it dissipate? So partially part of what you say is true. Range anxiety is the biggest issue, Mm. but it's not when talking to EV owners. It's in talking to prospective EV owners. So EV owners, I've never met one that suffers from range anxiety. The cars are very communicative. The cars tell you where to charge. They redirect you if if you're running short. Mm. They... They tell you what range you've got. Uh, um, most EV drivers or all EV drivers would also know that if if you're driving and you halve your speed, you'll triple your range. You know, it's that sort of mm. dynamic. So people learn that very quickly. If you are, I've had one or two times where driving on a big highway and I'm heading into Colesburg and I can see, oops, I was pushing the speed a little bit hard now and I've spent a bit too much on my battery and I must back off and I back off to 90 for 15 minutes and I make it because okay. it, it, it does that thing. So... So the, the EV drivers themselves really understand and, and sort of are one with their cars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the people who haven't yet um, had the car, there's a lot of concern about range, mm-hmm. but it really is dispelled very quickly once you start driving an EV and once you actually get out there and test those ranges, get a feel for your car. Yeah. And you very quickly realize it's not such a big deal. Interesting, the, interesting. The cars help you and you know what to do. So, so give me a, give me an, uh, an idea of how big this network is today. Um, you've been rolling it out for some. When, when did the first uh, charging point go in? So the, the first, le- I mean, we put charges in from 2013 already. Wow. So um, it, there would have been the smaller AC type chargers and, you know, at various places. But the first big, uh, so grid cars in 2017 when we had the acquisition through Alviva, mm-hmm. through Solarif and Alviva, um, at that point the decision was taken to actually drive at the very least the first network in the country. We thought let's, because everybody was always saying, what if I want to drive to Cape Town? And you can't bring cars until these charging stations. And we just felt we, the, the quickest way to solve this problem is just put charges down. Mm-hmm. So when people say, but, but what if you want to go to Cape Town? So we'll get in your car and go to Cape Town. And when they say, but you can't bring cars because they're not charges. No, there's plenty of charges, bring cars. You know, so we, we sort of decided to do that from a, a, I think, for the good of the industry, but really to try and get this thing sparked and get yeah. it going. Okay. So the first DC fast chargers, which were part of that program, were in 2018. Okay. And, um, you know, to date, if you're looking at the DC fast chargers in public spaces and the highways, I think we're up at about 75, 80 of them. Um, and that's really opened up all the major highways. So the N1, the N2, the N3, and the N4, mostly covered 100 kilometer to 200 kilometer gaps. 
So, so we're talking Joburg, Durban, Joburg, Cape Town, Joburg, Nelspruit. Joburg, Nelspruit, Joburg, Rustenburg, mm-hmm. um, and then Cape Town, East London on the M2. Oh, yes. And we're in discussions now with closing the gap from East London through to Durban as well on the M2. So, so all of these areas have been exposed. We haven't done the N14 yet, but again, discussions are happening. There's people looking at how we're going to approach that one. Um, when you're doing something like the N14, you're going to put a charger down in Uppington and maybe see one charging session every six months. <laughs> it's not about profitability, it's about coverage. Yeah. And it's about opening up those areas that people can start to feel they can go there. You know, and some people will go there just because they can. <laughs> so we'll start to see those sort of dynamics. And yeah, so. Oh, the prediction, I mean, um, Mark Rain, the CEO of, of Mercedes Benz, predicted on the show just last week that. 50% of their sales will be EVs by the end of 2026, which is a pretty Correct. aggressive yep. rollout. So um, if, that, if that transpires, then there's probably, probably going to be quite a bit of demand along the N14 route. We honestly believe that. Um, as I said, it, there's a time. It, mm. it, you've got to allow the, the fleet to grow. Sure. But people won't start going that direction if there's no chargers. Yeah. Um, I was talking to a, a shopping centre at one stage, and they said, we'd like to put a DC charger down. And they said to me, but we've never seen an EV here. So I said, yeah, EVI drivers are not stupid. They're fairly clever people. They <laughs> have apps that tell them where the chargers are, so they don't come here because there are no chargers here. <laughs> and he, oh, okay, so we put the charger in, and today it's the second busiest charger in the country. Interesting. You know, so so yeah. build it and they will come, I think, is is the strategy. And, and yeah. we've really put that out there. So we're well ahead with charging infrastructure ratio to vehicles in the country. We're well ahead in South Africa. I think it's going to be tough to stay ahead um, as the, you know, Mark has got some really great um, uh, predictions on where they're going to go. And, you know, I'm excited to see that. Um, if all of the other OEMs have similar strategies, then there are going to be a lot of cars in this country in the next two to three years. Yeah. And we will start to see that, that growth curve moving very, very fast. So where are these charges pr- primarily on the national routes? Are they at filling stations, near filling stations or... Uh, I mean, I, I know you're deploying in shopping centres as well, but if I'm driving from here to Cape Town, where am I actually going to see these, these yeah. points? Vast, most of them are going to be at filling stations. Some of them at hotels, um, some of them at malls, just depends on where they are. Bloemfontein is a casino, so casino and hotel. Um, but So, yeah, so d- it depends. Obviously, on the open roads, your your best places are the bigger sh- the bigger um, filling stations. Right. So, you know, that have got... Because you're going to be there for an hour, you need to... Understand that you need to know: Is there good food? Do they make good coffee? So, always looking for sites that have the the better coffee franchises, um, and and you can find a place to sit. And, and we're starting to see more and more. We were talking to a fuel station development company recently, and they said that they're starting to build fuel stations now, where the shops are a lot bigger, and there's going to be shared office space, so places where you can sit down and have a meeting. Um, you know, all those sort of things because they're foreseeing that that will become one of the requirements oh, fascinating. at a fuel station. You're here for an hour, you're going to want to catch up on your email and plug your computer in. Yeah. And, you know, I think we'll start to see more and more of these transitions happening. Fascinating. So driving, changing consumer behavior as a result. Absolutely. Oh, responding mm. to the consumer's yeah. need to mm. what they have. Yeah. So it's interesting that, a, that an independent company like Gridcars is rolling out this infrastructure nationwide. Do you think that... Um, um, and I know you're working with a lot of the car manufacturers as well. Do you expect the car manufacturers to build their own networks? Do you expect companies like Shell and, and, and BP and Engine, et cetera, to eventually start to transform their garage forecourts as well? 
It's a very interesting question, and and I think we're gonna it, it's going to be yes to all of those. We're we're gonna see um, the OEMs investing to some extent into infrastructure. I don't think the OEMs believe that this is their um, their way going forward. I sure. mean, they don't own roads, yeah. they don't build roads, they expect the road to be there. But I'm pretty sure that in the very early days of the automotive industry, they instigated and funded and put money towards roads to make them better for their vehicles. Yes. So, that's, so that's why I say I do believe they'll get involved. Um, the fuel stations, absolutely, they're, they're going to see a diminishing market in the fuel side and they need to look at ways of picking up that uptake on the charging side and other services that they're going to be doing. So from a fuel station, absolutely, they should be looking at it. But I do think we're going to see a bit of a modal shift that's going to be towards shopping centers, business parks. Mm-hmm. You know, because the, the idea is because you're charging a bit longer, you probably want sites where you're anyway there for a longer period, which is not normally a fuel station. So I think there's going to be a, a bit of a move towards that. But on the strategic sites and on the highways, the fuel stations are the way um, because they, have, they already have a great site which has got good amenities at the site, yeah. good services, all those sort of things. Okay. But for forward-looking entrepreneurs and business owners, perhaps in smaller towns in Karoo, could actually look at this as a business opportunity. I completely agree. All this traffic coming down the highway, the guys yep. are going to have to charge for 45 minutes. Um, why not uh, put one outside our restaurant, for yep. example? I think it's exactly what it is. And also, the, it's not you don't have all these environmental challenges that you have when you're going to put down a fuel station. Yes. You know, so the, that's a much more complex process. This is something you can make the decision of, you know, there is power. That's probably the biggest question you have to ask. And you can put it down in three days. Do you need you a know, certain type of power? Do you need permission from well, the municipality? You need a certain level of power. Um, and if you, you would need to involve the municipality if you didn't have enough power. Okay. So if your site doesn't have the power, you'd need to look at, I mean, um, you know, if you take a, a typical shopping center as an example. Yep. They, they might well have enough power for one or two charges. If you want to put 10 charges down, they probably going to have to upgrade the transformer. Right. Now you'd have to bring the municipality into the discussion. The other part of those discussions we would have is looking then at an energy strategy for those malls to say, how do we put down um, maybe some solar and help to support that network for you? But at some point it's going to revert to let's get city power in and have a discussion around putting down a bigger transformer mm-hmm. because we now need the bigger numbers. Yeah. So there is going to be an evolution transformation of the of the network, of the, the charging network or the power network. I would hope for the good. I think, uh, you know, a more resilient network is going to help to to build that and, and yeah. grow that, that industry. And I imagine a, shopping, a large shopping centre would make sense to, to, to deploy these as well because of when there is load shedding, these, these, these facilities tend to have massive generator backups as well that could continue. Oh, or just to solar. Um, or solar, yeah, good point. solar during the day. Mm. I mean, generator maybe at night is a bit more important, but during mm. the day, just a good solar system would, would support your charging. Yeah. Is it feasible to uh, to use solar to, to to charge vehicles, you know, on the highways, for example? Yeah. Could you, I mean, how much solar array would you have to put down next to a charging station? So on a big charger, a lot. Mm. Um, so I think, yes, that's, that's a very good question. If, I suppose the way to look at it is a typical filling station might need 100 kilowatts of solar. A big charger that we put down today is 180 kilowatts. Mm. So it's already more than double what the, what the filling station would have. Um, so, so they would have to scale a bit further. But I, in our view is design your solar for the site, including the charger as part of that load. Right. But don't try and design solar to cater for all the load of the charge point. Okay. Because you'd need a lot more usage. Three or four years from now, probably a very different discussion. Because then I think we'll have five chargers at a site 
and three of them will always be busy. Mm. And then you can start to make better decisions around letting the solar or letting the charger dictate the load to the solar. Right. That you can start to balance that. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'm just thinking that, you know, around um, filling stations on the highways, there's usually a lot of vacant land, probably usually farmland or something, something similar that could potentially so be could. used for, yeah. for solar farms yeah. to power that infrastructure. And, and I would, you know, my... For a big part of what I'd like to see as well is how those those become the the spark of the reason why you put in solar, but in actual fact that solar can then be supporting the grid in that area. Mm-hmm. So you could then be supporting that town or whatever environment or communities in that area can start yeah. to to also get support from that solar system. Yeah. So I think it, it's going to be we'll see that sort of effect rolling on. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. where the charging we say, oh, okay, but we need more power. Let's put down solar. Oh, but now we've got excess solar. Can we feed a bit back into the grid and mm. support the support the network in this area? Mm. Fascinating, fascinating. Now, um, I know you've worked with some of the OEMs. I think there was an announcement just a few weeks ago that you'd uh, signed an agreement with with Audi South Africa, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. What, what's the nature of that relationship, and what are some of the other deals you have with the OEMs? Oh, so at this stage, we I, th- I think we can comfortably say we work with all the OEMs. Okay. So we've got um, these these different levels um, that we'd work with certain OEMs. So with BMW, for example, we we manage their charging infrastructure for them. We work with their customers in terms of when their customers need to go to charging stations. Um, with OEMs such as Mercedes, we're, we're working with their dealers quite extensively. So helping the dealers to understand the transition mm-hmm. towards electrification, how they're going to manage their, their power. Um, in, with Audi, it's mostly working with their customers charging at the public network, and then Audi has put quite a quite a big commitment towards um, funding charging infrastructure and support. Well, let's just say the support of charging infrastructure. So they don't own the infrastructure; they just find incentive ways of actually driving incentives around getting that in that infrastructure going. So mm-hmm. you'll see quite a lot of the charges on the highways. I think today, thirty three sites would have Audi branding on them, which would mean that they're carrying some sort of support from Audi. Okay. Are all of these sites open access, if that's the right term? Can, if, if I'm driving a BMW, can I charge at an Audi station? Yes, you can. So okay. there's no, there's will, no it constraints. Sta- will it stay like that? Yes. Okay. So there's no constraints on the things. Okay, let, let me correct that, that statement. So, so right now, there is no constraint in where you can charge. Mm-hmm. There's, we have what are called roaming agreements. So if there's an, um, in the same way in the cell phone network, yeah. your cell phone can roam across other connections. It's exactly the same here. Even though other people may own the networks, yeah. there's roaming agreements between the operators of the funding or the finance side of it versus the owning of the actual charging infrastructure. So those two connect to each other. Similar to banking. So you can draw money from an ABSA ATM if you're a F&B client. And there is a price premium for that. The Sasswitch network, is there a price premium on... on so Charging at this stage, there's not. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, that's absorbed by the owners of the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably foreseeable that there'd be a very small margin that eventually does c- creep in for that. But generally, we're not seeing a differentiator at this stage. Right. So um, the the roaming cost is carried by the network operators themselves. Mm-hmm. So as part of that, and normally it's back-to-back agreements between whoever owns that infrastructure versus who's bringing the customer. Right. To the, to the site. Okay. Um, so definitely, there's no reason, however, why there can't be a differentiated network. So you could end up with, um, let's say, a particular, and I'm going to use this maybe more in the commercial space, where, where a courier company looks and says, wait a minute, it's a bit expensive for us to charge in public. Mm-hmm. We'd rather put down our own charging infrastructure 
and then those might be closed only to the courier using those or to that particular commercial operator using those. So we could see charges in the future that do that. What we try to do is ensure that the, the charges that are displayed inside of the vehicle is absolutely where you can use it. So if there were charges that you wouldn't have access to, it just wouldn't show inside of your vehicle. It wouldn't show in your app. Yeah. So you'd only see what you're capable of. So if you see a charge and it's not on my app, you know, maybe it's a private one. Maybe you can't use it. So, you know, you've got a great office park here. And you might put a charger against the wall and it might be privately for yourselves to use, not for the general sure. public to use. Okay. But if I got you and I come inside and I said, I need a charge, you might say, okay, it's fine. We can make it available to you. Sure. So, sure. so there would be those sort of things that we'll see in the, as the dynamic grows. Yeah. But the vast majority would be shared across everybody. We, we don't see it in this country at the moment because the fuel price is not deregulated, although there's talk that's going to happen soon on some grades of petrol. Uh, but if you travel to the UK or the US, depending where you go, there's big hoardings outside garages saying, you know, this is the price of fuel per gallon or per litre or whatever it is yeah. at this location. And as you usually find the further outside the city, the more remote the area, the higher the price. Is the same thing happening in electric Definitely. So, so the idea is that there is no price um, control at all. Um, you would look and and and, you, and the reason why we don't believe there ever will be. And the reason is that a shopping centre might look and say, "We'll pay for the charging. We want you to come and charge for free here mm-hmm. because you're spending your money at the restaurants and at all of the other facilities here." So we do see that scenario where often a restaurant would, or at least a, a shopping mall, might look and say it's free, mm-hmm. um, and. If there was a particular area where you came and you got, when you stopped your car there, your car got washed, you got a voucher for coffee at the at the local restaurant, you might be prepared to pay a bit more for that for that slot. So therefore, the, the dynamic is going to be driven by other commercial aspects right. around that. So so the the owner of the charge point would look and say, this is my motivation for the price I'm doing. Right. You know, I'm in an area where we've got really expensive um, electricity, plus we're trying to keep our electricity green, so we run it off of batteries, and, and it's really expensive. And they might charge more, and certain EV drivers might look and say, but I'm quite happy to go there because I know I'm getting pure green electricity, and I'll pay a premium for that. Yes. So the, we're going to see these changes, yes. these dynamics in the industry. Right uh, now, as grid cars, we try to keep a single price across the country. We don't, because the other thing that affects us is time of use. Mm-hmm. If we're in a very expensive time of use area, I could actually be paying you to charge at that charging station because it's that expensive. Yes. But because we're working with averages across the board, it, it sort of works out okay for us. But there are going to be, we've had our first customer now recently that um, asked us to set up the contract in such a way that there is a different, a differential in the rate in time of use. So if you go and charge there during the peak time, you're going to pay nearly double what you would pay under normal circumstances. Mm-hmm. So I said to the client, I said, but then nobody's going to come and charge. He said, exactly. I don't want you charging here during peak time. I haven't got enough power. Right. And But if you're desperate, well, then pay the price and it'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we will see that differentiator coming into the industry. And, and I suppose if you had price re- regulation, it would also disincentivize the construction of charging points in remote areas. Um, be, just by, on the N14 route, for example, if, yeah. if you can charge a higher rate uh, for, uh, for recharging your Correct. vehicle on that route, uh, then you're more likely to build the, the station. However, if the pri- this price is capped, yep. there's a good chance it won't be built. That's right. Yeah. And and at the end of the day, you know, I mean, everybody's aware the, the, the sort of top end of what we're looking at is what the cost of petrol is. Mm. So everybody's mm. trying to stay well under that, yes. you know, to yes. make it feasible. And, um, you know, so, so right now you're somewhere between, on the public rate, between half and a third of the price of petrol. Mm. Whereas mm. on your home rate, you may be a fifth or a mm. tenth of the price of petrol, depending on... 
on whether you've got solar installed at home and things like that. Will it always be cheaper to drive an EV than a petrol car? I believe so, absolutely, yeah. yeah even with um, ESCOMs, look, massive price increases every year. Yeah, but we're going to see massive price increases in fuel. Yeah. Didn't, didn't we see one this year? I, I don't know. I don't drive with petrol cars. I mean, I, my <laughs> no, wife it's very expensive, both, I can my, tell you. <laughs> my wife and I both have electric. No, I do know the price. But, it's, uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah. and I think we're never going to see a exponential growth in price of electricity in the same way that we've seen with um, fuel. Yeah. So fuel can, you know, we have a war in Ukraine and overnight our petrol price is 70% higher. Mm-hmm. You know, literally that bad. Mm. Um, whereas electricity, we, we typically won't see that because you've got control over that. You know, if the petrol, if the electricity price was going to double, there'd be a big incentive for you to put solar in, which will halve your petrol, it will halve your energy price. Yeah. So, yeah. so strategically, I think we've got these these more tools in this industry that will shape behaviour and shape pricing strategies. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. Now, let's talk about home, home charging and, and home solutions because you 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 do work with the OEMs as well, to supply batteries and charging solutions Correct. into homes. Yeah. Uh, how, how popular is that proving? Um, what are so, you seeing? So definitely, I think every every person who owns an EV will have a home charger. Mm-hmm. So, And again, we've got different deals with, with different OEMs. Um, in particular, with Mercedes, we do all of their home chargers for them. So we would be um, both supplying the equipment for them and doing the installation at the customer's house, okay. along with a bit of training to the customer to show them how to work with the networks and things like that. The... There's two categories of home chargers. So grid cars made a decision um, 2016-17 already where we made the decision only to install what we would call smart connected home chargers. Okay. So as opposed to dumb chargers, chargers that are not smart and connected. Right. Okay. And the difference really comes down to if you've just got a normal charger, you, you're going you're gonna to connect it to your DB and it's going to pull a certain amount of power, whatever the car is requiring. If that power is more than what your house can give, it's going to trip the house. Mm-hmm. So you'll trip your main incoming breaker. A smart charger would be aware of things like that. So it could, it could only give the power to the car that is ensuring that you're not tripping the home. But it can do more, incl- more, more intelligent things. It can look and see, wait a minute, we're under stress in this area. Um, you know, just generally in this particular area, Pretoria East, um, has got an issue and the power is, is, um, is under strain. So we don't want to draw too much on electric vehicles. We could then look to um, pulling that power down dynamically. Mm-hmm. And those would be agreements that would come in place between the municipality or between Eskom and the customer that would say, well, if you allow us a level of demand control, mm. That if you're, that that we can slow your car down at certain times, or that we can charge it slower at certain times, then we might give you a, a more preferential rate at other times if you charge in the correct time. So, so we can start having these discussions, but only if you have smart chargers. You can't do that if you've got these non-connected, non-smart charging systems. So everything that we installed is a smart charging system, it's a connected charging system, and will allow us to be able to integrate these systems at a later stage into more intelligent demand management systems, mm-hmm. that we can have clever management of that. And it's not like your car will not be charged in the morning when you wake up. You know, my car, on average, I drive 70 k's a day, um, one way, because mm-hmm. so, I work here in Rudipert and I live in Pretoria. So, so that would give me 140 kilometers two ways each day. And if I do all of that charging at home, mm-hmm. it's probably about three hours of charging time I need and the car is full. Yes. In spite of the fact that it's 140 kilometers. Yes. So, so based on that, even if there was load shedding at my home, and I've got solar, so I don't really have to worry too much about load shedding, but if I had to worry about load shedding, 
then even when there's load shedding, I still get three hours during the night to charge the yeah. car. It's, it's never that bad. Yeah. hasn't got that bad yet. Not yet. <laughs> but, not yet. <laughs> um, and, and that to me is the idea, is that, is that the car is always full. I, mm. I just love this idea that when I wake up in the morning, I get in my car, it's full. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I, don't have to, I don't have to worry about fuel or mm. energy. Yeah, it's just and, that, there. and your car is driving on sunlight. And it's driving on sunshine as far as possible, of yes. course. That, that is an issue, I suppose, that many people want to charge their EVs at night when the sun is not shining. Um, what, what is, the, is there a way around that? I mean, can you put big yeah. batteries so down in your house? Then you need batteries, yeah. You transfer and from one battery to another battery. Basically. That's exactly. And, mm-hmm. and the idea is that batteries are going to benefit your house anyway. Yes. <laughs> because it's going to give you much more resilience to, to being off-grid or being independent of the grid. Yeah. It's going to allow you to leverage or load shift that solar from the daytime to the nighttime. Yeah. Um, so yeah, batteries, that's the way to go. It does work out quite expensive to put batteries down at home. But as I say, this is part of that next phase. And as yeah. batteries, with all of these things, you know, we, we're looking and saying, we're watching the price of electric vehicles drop against the price of petrol vehicles climbing. Mm-hmm. There's a crossover point coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe 2023, in my mind. Um, but we see the same with battery technology. You might look and say, oh, but it's a bit expensive for the electricity in the battery. Yeah, but every, every year that's going down. Mm. And every year the, the grid-connected energy is going up. There's a crossover point coming. And, you know, where you invest and how you use that is, is really up to you. I just saw an item on the Newswise literally five minutes before you joined us in studio here saying that lithium prices have hit a new record high. They've, they've tripled or quadrupled in the last few months. Okay. How much of a problem is this? So I, I'm not a geologist, um, but generally we find lithium in salt pans. And pretty much every time we've looked in a salt pan, we found lithium. Okay. So I think it, it really just, it it, it, there's a lot of it around. And I think there is, if we were to mine our salt pans here in South Africa, and we've got some really nice big ones, mm. um, there'd be very strict environmental control on how we can do that. I think other countries, maybe some of our neighbors that have done this very successfully in the last 20 or 30 years and have become big lithium producers, um, don't have that level of environmental um, responsibility. So they might have gone to a level of destruction within those salt pans, which is not good for the environment. Whereas in South Africa, it would be very strictly controlled. and, And I think that's probably the reason why it hasn't been exploited yet. But economic, economic, economics, mm-hmm. sorry, economics. <laughs> so as the value of lithium goes up and more the, the money. need, there'll be more people looking. Mm-hmm. The people will start saying, okay, where do we search over here for it? Ah, oh, there we go. We've got a great big salt pan. Mm-hmm. Okay, what's the environmental um, agreement? This is how we're going to extract lithium over here. And I think we'll, we'll manage it. We'll get through this. You know, over the next 10 years, maybe other technologies will come up. Um, I don't think there's anything big. There's lots of people talking about these nuclear diamond batteries, but they're microwatts, you know, it's mm. not, they're good for pacemakers. Okay. You know, they're not, they're not going to be good for driving electric cars. Right. Not yet. So maybe we will see some of these sort of other battery technologies coming through. But I think for the foreseeable future, we, we need to be, you know, back in a, a lithium-based mm. battery technology. Great. Winston, before I let you go, I just want to get a, a, a view from you of where we're going. Uh, what, is this in, what, is, what is the charging network in South Africa going to look like in five years from now? And what is it going to look like in the home? Uh, 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 we're quite far behind in terms of regulations compared to Europe and the US and other developed markets. Uh, but um, I imagine a future where I have solar at home, I'm feeding that electricity back into the grid, I'm earning credits from feeding that into the grid that I could then use to charge my car at a charging station down the line. So, uh, so I'm almost taking that green energy and 
from my house and putting it into a charging station somewhere else. So can Is I take some notes quickly? That was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> well done. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think we, we're heading to a time where there is going to be some really interesting um, value adds. In yeah. words, where you can behave in a certain way and that would give you credit in another area. Mm. And energy is so easy to do that. You know, whereas in working with petrol, it's, it's hard because it's, it's something you can only get in one place. We're saying electricity, we can be trading it all over the place. Mm. You know, we're talking to um, some bank and or banks and the discussions are around how do they use their, their incentive systems to drive that behavior? And can they use those incentives to, so if you drive, use in a particular way, you might get a particular type of award from your bank and those awards can then be used to shape your behavior. So absolutely we'll see a lot of that. Um, I think that homes will more and more use solar. Maybe not, I don't think it's gonna be driven as much by Eskom as just by it's the right way to do it. And mm. it's, it's the most valuable thing to do. Yeah. Yes, Eskom helps that, um, you know, if they're having tr- trouble with certain areas. Um, you make your own electricity at home for your car now, and therefore you're taking control of that part of your, your drive. Charging infrastructure in the public space, um, I think, especially when you ha- when you start having these, um, you know, stacked residential homes, then suddenly that that becomes not as easy to do home charging. Yeah. Now you're always going to be doing public charging, mm-hmm. so I think we'd see within those estates, and we are seeing within those estates, they do very good deals for their customers, so they're not charging the normal public rate that we'd see outside of those estates. But if I come from outside, I pay the normal public rate mm-hmm. because I'm now a guest in that uh, in those sites. So I think we're going to see things like that coming through. Generally, our network is relatively extensive as it stands, except for N14, not yet. Um, but the it is typically single or double charges at each site. So we've got a little bit of a risk that, you know, if you're unlucky and you get to a site and there is low charging or, you know, both charges are not working. So we've always tried to put two at every site. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea would be that you are going to be in trouble because they might, the next one might be 200 kilometers away. Yes. What we need to see is density. We need to start expanding the density of those charging stations. So, and more and more we're starting to see that. You know, so now around Colesburg, you've got three options for charging char- mm-hmm. your cars. So if if any one charger was down for load shedding or for uh, maintenance or for whatever, or there's a queue, there's or there's a queue, <laughs> then there are other places. Mm-hmm. You know, we're seeing queuing at some of the shopping centres. So, um, we got a beautiful picture the other day: four cars, so two on the charger and two standing waiting to be charged. Oh wow! And first time we've seen that, and, and that's a good indication that we need to start looking at putting a second charger at those sites and starting to expand those to support those those environments. Mm-hmm. So I think we're in a good place. I think we've, we've started off right. Um, it's really now about getting vehicles on the road, and it's about people understanding that this is real. We have the future of driving is without any doubt going to be electric. You know, the, the rate at which we transition to electric is probably more in our hands in terms of where we're going to go. But I think that that really, really is important that we start to understand that this is where the future is going. So mm. you're choosing to either be an early adopter or a late adopter, but you're not you're not looking to say, I'm not going to do it now because I'm not sure that it's going to happen. Mm. This is going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's really just about when do you enter that that space and when do you become part of that revolution? When do you think uh, it becomes a mass market thing in South Africa? I think. I think we're about to end on camera, so now I'm gonna, it's going to be put down forever and somebody will come <laughs> I back won't in hold you to five it. years' time and say, he was wrong. <laughs> Someone else might, but I won't. <laughs> so I think we two to three years away from seeing price parity on pretty much all vehicles. That said, 
today already a lot of the vehicles are at price parity with their competitors mm-hmm. or, or with their, their fuel competing vehicles. Sure. The problem is that most of the vehicles are the more expensive vehicles. So I think, again, two to three years, we should see it creeping down into the, the lower end market. Yep. So the sub 500,000 rand vehicles. And if we get price parity at that level in three years, I think that's the game changer. Mm-hmm. So that's where we'll see the big pivot in the market. I think the other big pivot is when Europe hits 100% of EV. So they're, they're saying 2030 to 2032 is 100% of new vehicles that's will be soon. electric. It's mm-hmm. very soon. And when that happens, I, you know, people have often said, but Africa will just be 10 years behind. Well, it's pretty difficult to be 10 years behind where all the cars that you buy come from Europe and now mm-hmm. they're only making electric cars. Mm-hmm. So I think we're going to see a, a two steps. Three years' time, we're going to see the step where oh, it's now at price parity, so many people will buy into it. And 2030 to 2033, where you just can't get petrol cars anymore. Yeah. They just stop and then you, the next big transition is going to be when people start looking and saying, you drive a petrol car? Really? <laughs> and people are going to start to feel the pressure to get rid of their petrol cars. But you will want to because it's costing you a fortune. Yeah. You know, it, it'll be costing you, if you were, had a 10,000 rand petrol bill, the guy with the electric car has only got a 1,000 rand electricity bill. Yeah. You know, there's an economic the reason to move. petrol are going to do this. Yeah. All of these things will change. Yeah. And so yeah. I honestly think we'll see multiple of these things. Um, don't miss them because if you if you get in too late, you're gonna get caught with the petrol car that you can't sell. Yeah, Winston, it sounds like you you're gonna have a fascinating uh, few years ahead of you. Uh, this industry is on the cusp of, of of massive change and massive growth. Thank you for coming into our studio, talking to Texas today. Winston Jordan is MD of Gridcars. Thank you for your time. It's been lovely. Thank you so much. Thank you.